Um, if you have your word with you, we're going to be in Luke 22, like I said, and we're going to kind of be on the second half of that. Um, but I'm so excited to be here with you guys this morning. I'm so excited as we kind of lead up to um, Good Friday. And it's going to it's going to be an amazing thing. I just want to go ahead and, and put that out there for you. Um, just the crazy stuff that God's already doing, working. Um, I got a text this morning, and apparently some pastor from some church somewhere, I don't know who, how he found out about it, but he sent us a message this morning, and he's like, hey, I want to be involved. Yay! Awesome. Yes. Who knows how that But it's a God thing, right? And to me, hearing that this morning, it's like, man, isn't that crazy? Because what God's saying in that moment, and this pastor may or may not know this, but what God's saying in this moment is, I see you, right? I see what you're doing, and I, I'm for you, and I'm behind you, and I'm backing you, and it's going to be an amazing thing. And I'm so excited about that, but before we lead up to that, because on that day we're going to talk about the cross, um, I want to, I want you to realize, and me to realize, and have our hearts in that spot, that there was a good 24-hour period of Jesus' life before he went up to that cross that there were some amazing things that happened, right? And we kind of wash over them a lot of times because we're either going to be on the cross or we're going to be on the resurrection. For the next two weeks, I just want to talk about that last little bit of Jesus' life. This morning, we're going to start in Luke 22, and uh, we're going to start in... Uh, wrong page. Um, <laughs> We're going to start in verse 39. And uh, it's where Jesus is praying in the garden. I've taught this before, um, to be honest, because again, this is one of those sections of Scripture that's really hard for me to come around. Um, and, and I'll share some of that with you this morning. But what I want us to realize this morning is this is about 9 o'clock the night before um, Jesus would be killed the next morning. We're maybe 12 hours away from him being nailed to the cross or a little less. Um, what we've already seen kind of in that night take place is that he's had what we would know as the Last Supper. That Jesus has sat down in an upper room with his disciples and they've uh, celebrated this Passover festival, a festival that's been celebrated from the moment the people of Israel uh, left Egypt to, to this day. And there's some amazing kind of symbolism that goes with that, but what God did that night in Egypt was he, he told Moses to tell the people, I want you to take a lamb in your house and I want you to keep it for a couple of weeks until it basically becomes a pet. And then a couple of days later, I want you to take it out and I want you to kill this thing. I want you to put its blood on the doorpost of the house. And when the angel of death sees the blood, it will pass over your house. So it's the name Passover. So what this festival was, was it was a, a celebration feast of the moment the angel of death saw the blood and passed over the house. It's no coincidence that Jesus chose the day that he did to die. And there's no coincidence that could ever be like that, right? And in Exodus, God set up this moment where he was saying, this is just a small piece of what you're going to see of what I'm going to do in the future in a greater way. And as Jesus sat down at the table that night for dinner, he knew, I'm going to the cross. He even talked about it at dinner a little bit, right? He changed the symbols and he, he took the bread, something they would do every time they ate, and he, he ripped it. But in this time, he said something different than what was on the program. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Imagine hearing that. It's not actually, it's not what's on the script. 
some of you're supposed to be there. What are you talking about? The disciples would have heard this. I don't know what saying. Then as Jesus ripped that bread and he saw the fibers of the bread pulling apart, what would have been on his mind was, man, about to be pulled, ripped apart. And he took this cup and he said, man, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And he changed this cup that had meant something so many years into a symbol now, meaning, hey, there's a, there's a new covenant, a better covenant coming, and I'm going to shed my blood in just a few hours for you guys. Jesus sat around this table. He gets the full weight of what's going on. The disciples are like, this is not really something I understand. It's not on the script. I don't understand what to do with Jesus. And then he looks at his disciples, these 12 guys that he spent three and a half years with every single day. He looks at them and he says, hey, I just want you to know um, one of you sitting at the table with me tonight is going to betray me. They all look around. Um, who is it? I don't even know if it's me. I don't know who it is. But there was one at the table who did know. Because he'd already sold Jesus. He'd already set up a plan. And the moment was drawing near. After dinner was over, we kind of enter the story where we're going to be this morning in verse 39 that says, He, capital He being Jesus here, went out. This is out of the upper room. And he made his way, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. Now, as the disciples followed him, there was one that wasn't with them. This was 11 of the 12. As you know, Judas had already broken away and left at this point in time. Um, but it says that Jesus went out and he made his way to a usual spot. And that usual spot is at the Mount of Olives, or the Mount where there was an olive vineyard. It's a, it's a garden called Gethsemane, which literally means olive press. And this is a place where Jesus would go. If, if you read the, the gospel, Jesus would go over and over and over and over again to pray. Actually, he spent most of his week at night up here on this mountain praying. Now, the crazy thing about that to me is if Jesus here wanted to avoid the cross, he wouldn't go to the usual spot, right? If you didn't want me to come visit you, you wouldn't go home. I, I know where you live, right? <laughs> Somewhere else. So I'm going to come over later. Um, okay, I'm not going to be home. That's how it's going to work. You don't want me to visit you. But here Jesus goes to the usual space. Like probably the exact place, right? But he would go night after night after night after night and, and pray knowing that the disciple that wasn't with him was also going to be the disciple that was going to betray him and this guy had been there with him every night at this point in time. Jesus wasn't trapped into the cross. Jesus went and awaited, right? The cross. He went to this mountain called the Mount of Olives. And, and he went to a place called Gethsemane, which he went over and over and over again, a place that literally means olive press. And his disciples followed him there. And it says in verse 40, when he reached the place... Could be the usual place. Could very well mean uh, the appointed place. The place that Jesus had chosen. This is the place where I will be betrayed. The, the, the plot of soil that Jesus knew in. This would be the moment that I would go into custody and head toward the cross. This is the moment that Judas is going to come and he's going to betray me. Jesus went to the very spot. And it says, he went to the place that he told them 
or he told them, and this is the word to Jesus, pray that you may not enter into temptation. I think this is the part of the story that gets weird for me. Jesus here knowing he's going to the cross, knowing that he's about to be betrayed, he's about to die, and just in a couple hours, this is probably around nine, about midnight, Judas was going to stroll up into the garden with a mob of people, and they were going to arrest him, and they were going to carry him off. He was going to be tried twice, and then um, brought before Pilate, and then he was going to go to the cross. This is the scene going down in Jesus' brain. Jesus says to the disciples, pray, but he doesn't say pray for me. Can you imagine that? Oh, I'm about to suffer for well, the sins of the whole world. Uh, if you guys, you 11 that are left, if you guys could just pray towards me some, that would be amazing. That, that would have been my mindset, right? Oh, I'm about to be nailed to the cross, and it's going to be horrible, uh, and I'm going to need some strength. So if you guys could pray for me, that would be great. That makes sense to me. But Jesus looks at these disciples, he says, pray, but he says, pray that you don't enter into temptation. And I hear that, and I'm like, wow, this doesn't make sense in the context of this, right? Like, what is in the garden to tempt you? Olives, they're gross. Um, <laughs> trees. Like, it's not like there's some giant pagan party up here and we're trying to keep our attention off the ladies or whatever. Like, this is a moment where Jesus is in the garden, there's 11 guys, and he's like, hey, pray that you don't enter into division. So what is he talking about? Well, I'll tell you what he's Jesus knew that he was about to go to the cross, right? And he knew that these guys, these 11 guys, had been with him for three and a half years. They didn't wake up and move without Jesus, right? They didn't pick what they were going to eat that day without Jesus. They didn't go to the well without Jesus. For three and a half years, every motion, every step has been behind Jesus, and Jesus knows these guys, his, his very best friends, are about to see him in, in this garden, arrested by a guy they thought was their best friend too, carried off, beaten, mocked, spit on. They're about to see this guy that they love with so much intensity carried up a hill or walk up a hill carrying a cross, nailed to that very piece of wood and then lifted up above the whole world, and they're about to watch this man they cared so much about, this man they had proclaimed as the Messiah. They're about to watch him suffocate on his own blood. That's hard. In that moment, you, you already know that not only are, are their heads going to be filled with sadness and hurt, they're going to be filled with disappointment. This is supposed to be the guy He's supposed to come in, he's supposed to set up this kingdom, and he's going to rule forever, and we were just going to kind of beat, we were going to be in the court with him, we were going to be those guys. This is the guy that we said was the Messiah, this is supposed to be the Savior, he, he's done so many things, and now he's dead. Were we wrong? And what he's saying they need to pray for is, pray that you're not tempted to leave. See, the reality of it is, man, when hurt and fear and, and, and shame and struggle and conflict and doubt, when those things enter our mind, right, because I'll just be honest, the plan of God is a hard plan. Right? If, if the cross teaches us anything, the plan of God is a hard plan. Like we, some of us grew up in church and it was like, oh, get saved, everything will be okay. They like you. 
The plan of God is a hard plan every single time, or most times at least. And if it's not a hard plan, maybe it's not the plan of God. And when these things come, because in our rationality, if this is the Savior and He has control over everything, and like He's the guy who breathed out the stars and He can speak and, and, and creation will leap into, into motion, like if this is that guy, everything should be easy, right? Nothing should ever come against us. Nothing should ever get hard. We shouldn't have to deal with hurt and sorrow and there should never be a rainy day in our life. Like that's, that's our mentality because looking at Him and looking at this, that makes sense. But if, if Jesus teaches us anything, it's that the plan of God is that it's a hard plan. Yeah. And when the plan gets hard and all this doubt and all this sorrow and all, the, all these things creep in, all, all of life creeps in, what we start thinking and what they would start thinking, and Jesus knew this, is maybe we're wrong. Maybe we really should run. Maybe we need to get out of here. Everything actually probably was better for some of you and maybe all of you um, before, right? Otherwise, no reason to mess with you here. You're not Jesus. It's like going to somebody else's yard and picking down a beehive. It doesn't make sense. So Jesus looks at these guys and he says, hey, I'm going to go over here and pray, but when, when I go, you need to stay here. You need to pray that you don't enter into, don't enter into temptation because you're going to be tempted. Because all, all life's going to fall apart for you in the next few hours. Because like, I'm going to the cross, right? And you're going to be tempted to leave. You're going to be tempted to run. And, and Peter already told you, man, you're going to deny me three times. Like, you you need And this is in 41 that he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. This is not a far distance. Everything Jesus was about to pray, they, they could have heard even in the intense prayer. Just a little distance. And it says that he knelt down and began to pray. Can you imagine the power in this moment? Because the thing that I can't wrap my head around is why Jesus ever felt the need to pray, right? Like he is God. Right. Who is he talking to? <laughs> sort of talking to yourself. Like. But Jesus felt the need to pray and in this moment. Can you imagine as Jesus with the weight of the cross and the, the, the coming death and, and, and all the sin and all the shame the whole world being laid on his body? Can you imagine under the weight of that, the weight as his knee hit the ground? Jesus kneels down, bows down, bends down. A man that should never, right? Bow. He bends down before Father God. This moment he begins to pray. And this is what his prayer is. If you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, they all have this section of Scripture. Some of them are in different detail than others. If you want to know them all, read them all together, because it's all just different perspectives, right? It's all the same story. And this is what Jesus prays. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. What cup is he talking about? What he's talking about is the cup of the wrath of God, the coming cross, right? See, this is what's weird about this story to me. 
Jesus bends down in the garden and his prayer is, um, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. I don't, I don't want to drink the wrath of God. And you hear that and you're like, was Jesus having second thoughts about the cross? This is why the story is weird to me. I'm like, no, because everything I know is, man, from, from before, right, it says it's the lamb slain before the foundations of the world, but even before the world was created, before man had ever messed up, Jesus had already decided I would go and die. So even knowing that we're going to screw it up and knowing we're going to sin and knowing we're going to mess up, God still creates us. That is love in itself. And allows us the, the choice, right? Free will could have subjected us, but it didn't allow us the choice to mess up, knowing that we would do it. Right. And knowing that because we did that, and because he allowed that, he would have to come, he would have to shed his glory, come down, wrap himself in dirt, be born in a, in a manger, in a feeding trough, in a cave, grow up a perfect life in our place, and then give his precious, perfect life for us. Everything I've ever known has expressed that. And here in this moment in the garden, it seems like maybe this is an irreconcilable point in that. Because Jesus is praying, and man, this is powerful. This is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world here. It's already made up. It's already been determined. And he bows down and what he prays to God is, if there's any other way, I don't want to drink this cup. And you look at that and it doesn't make sense. But think about what he's really saying. And think about the weight of what's really going on here because the truth is you don't know how you're going to leave this planet, right? It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be 80 years from now. You have no idea. But Jesus knows in excruciating detail if he's God and if he's sovereign, he's all-knowing, right? He knows in excruciating detail what is about to happen to him on this cross. He can play by play the event in his mind. And he, he, he knows the creator of pain. There was no pain because there was nothing. He knows the very details, the intimacy of what he's about to go through as his friend betrays him. He's beaten, he's mocked, he's whipped with this thing called the cat of nine tails. The Romans were good at hurting people and it had bones and metal in it. And it was meant to tear away flesh. Jesus was beaten almost to death before he ever was nailed to the cross. He knew that there was going to be a crown of thorns placed on his head. Uh, have you ever seen these thorns? These are massive thorns. And they were dug deep into his brow. And he knew what that was going to feel like. He knew that I'm going to be led up a hill like a sideshow for all of Jerusalem to see. They're going to lay me down. They're going to drive nails through my hands and my feet. And then they're going to lift me up so that the whole world can see it. And I'm going to sit there for six hours just trying to breathe. Can you imagine the, the guy who breathed out the stars is gasping for breath. as his lungs fill up with blood. And yes, he is very much God in all these moments, but Jesus is also Emmanuel, God with us. He's very much man. I just want you to know the cross was not an easy thing for Jesus. I grew up thinking, oh yeah, I mean, it's cool. 
Jesus on the cross, but I mean, God, how much did it really hurt? It hurt just as much as it would if somebody did it to you. Because he died for you. And Jesus, knowing this, what what he says to God is, are you sure like this is the only way? He's not saying, I'm having second thoughts. He's saying, before I walk into this, because I will, is this the only way? Is this your will? That's why he prays at the end of that statement, nevertheless, or like it means but. But not my will, but your will be done. Man, I know this is going to hurt. I know this is not going to be fun. And I know that, man, if there is any other way that we can do this whole wrath of God thing, and we can save humanity, that I would, I would prefer that one. But I just want you to know, God, if this is the way, if this is your will, then I will walk into it. And I look at that and I think, what a powerful statement. Because what we pray, right, when we pray, is, God, I I would like you to do this one. God, if you can do this thing in my will, I agree. If you do it in a way that's comfortable and easy and nice and padded, and I'm not going to get hurt, I will walk headlong into your will. If I'm going to get fame from it, I will walk headlong into your will. If I'm going to stand before thousands of people that are never going to be attacked, and I'm never going to be mocked, and it's never going to be painful, and I'm never going to be lonely, and I'm never going to cry, and I'm never going to doubt, so if it's easy, then I'll, I'll do it. But do you know the weight of the cross is on Jesus' back and he looks at that and he says, oh, I know the depth of the pain that it is going to cause, but if that is your will, I would do it anyway. And this is a powerful, powerful moment in the Bible. Because let me ask you this. If God laid out his plan for you, and he said, oh yeah, you're going to see hundreds, if not thousands of people get saved. You're going to see a massive movement of God through your life, but to do that, you're going to die. Would you do it? Oh, you're going to feel my presence like you have never felt my presence before. You're going to see things, man, that you cannot even imagine that it's going to hurt. You're going to be lonely. You're going to doubt. You're going to cry. You're going to suffer. But you do it. See, because the reality of it is, is God's plan is almost always a hard plan. When he called Paul, what did he, what did he tell people? I'm going to show this man how much he must suffer for my name. Paul stood in arenas you'll never stand in. He wrote sections of scripture that our brains will never even comprehend. He knew God in an intimate and in a deep way, but in every one of those ways, that was brought with suffering. 
He was stoned countless times. Right? Luke, writer of, or sorry, John, writer of Revelation, he was boiled in oil and survived his execution. That's the only way, he, he was the only disciple that lived to a natural death. And it's only because he survived his execution. These men saw the world change, right? For the name of Jesus, but every one of them suffered. Every one of them hurt. Every one of them had moments they doubted and it felt like everything was falling apart. God's plan is a beautiful, glorious, amazing plan that we see things accomplished that we can never even imagine. Like it, It's still a hard plan. And here Jesus, knowing the full weight of the cross, knowing in excruciating detail what those nails would feel like. What that mocking and shame, what, what suffocating would feel like. He said, God, if it's your will, I will go. God, I, I don't want to do it. I don't think it sounds fun. I won't be honest. I'm not going to volunteer for the cross um, if, if there's a different way. But I just want you to know, if this is the way, if this is the way you redeem the whole world, if this is the way you bring them back, it's not my will that matters. It's Jesus wasn't running from the cross. He read headlong into the cross. He just wanted to make sure before he went through with it that this was God's will. And if Jesus has to pray, right? Oh, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Shouldn't he? And our prayers, uh, God, if you can do it this way, you can work it out for me this way. In 43, it says, Then an angel from heaven appeared and he strengthened him, ministered to him. God sent an angel to Jesus because in this moment Jesus was in such anguish, right? In such pain, physically and spiritually, he was already suffering. But Jesus wouldn't have made it to the cross if God didn't send his angel to minister to him. And it says in 44, being in anguish, this means mental and spiritual pain, he prayed more fervently, more vigorously or more intensely. And it says, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. But before Jesus ever went to the cross, before he was ever tried, before he was even arrested, Jesus was already shedding his own blood. There's a, a syndrome, and I can't think of the name of it right now, but when, when anxiety is so intense, your sweat mixes with your blood. In this moment, Jesus felt what it feels like to be or to have anxiety. Isn't that crazy? Jesus has spoke to demons and never finished Jesus has calmed storms, walked out to the edge of a boat and would be the equivalent of a hurricane and, and told the storm to stop and it stopped. And in this moment, knowing the full weight of the cross, Jesus had such anxiety about this moment that his, his, his sweat was mixed with blood and it began to pour out. And this is in 45 when he got up from prayer, 
he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. We look at this and we're like, how, how are they sleeping? It's just so dumb. Jesus is about to go to the cross and they're out there in the garden sleeping. They're emotionally tore up, just like Jesus. They have no idea what's about to go down, but they've never seen him act this way. And because of that, and they're physically exhausted when they fall asleep. And in 46, um, it says, why are you sleeping? Jesus obviously knew this. And then Jesus says to him, get up and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. He just restates, right? And you've got stuff to do. I'm about to die. For this moment when he says this, he's made the decision. You see in the next verse that Judas comes up the hill with a mob, but Jesus knows I'm not running from the cross. I'm taking off. It's a guard. It's dark. He could have got away if he wanted to. But Jesus knows, man, this is God's will for me. So I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to wait on it. But as I wait on God's will for me, I just want you to get up and to pray that you don't enter into temptation. And what he's saying is pray that you don't run. Pray that you don't leave. Pray that you stay. Pray that you fight through it. Pray that when it's hard, you'll, you'll get through the hard because you're about to watch me die. <coughs> and when I'm carried off, uh, Peter, you're going to come to the trial and you're going to deny me three times. It's already right off the bat. I don't even know where the other guys were. They weren't brave enough to show up. You know. He says, I want you to pray that huh? you don't leave. I've always read this story and thought, man, this is the craziest story. Right? We did just get the whole garden thing. They're just coming in the upper room. Pulling out. But here's the truth. The disciples were close enough that they could have heard everything Jesus prayed. I think there's a reason for that. Because what they needed in this moment was to hear and to see exactly what Jesus was going to do. They needed this model. God, I, I get that your plan is hard. I get your plan is scary. And I get that it doesn't even look like anything that makes sense walking into it. But look at what Jesus prayed in that moment. Not my will, but yours. See, the truth of it is, I, I believe these disciples had to pray that prayer a lot. God, if I go up in here, they're going to stone me. That whole city's going to miss the gospel. I'm going to do something. So you let me know. Because it's not my will, but it's yours. Oh, they told me if I talk about you again, they're going to cut my tongue out. It's going to be awesome. But it doesn't really matter. It's not my will, but yours. 
truth of it is, you can, you can research the disciples. They know the way that all of them died. All 11. All 11 disciples, except for John, who survived his execution, were killed for the name of Jesus. Right? This book that we have in our hand, we wouldn't have in our hand had they ran churches that they started that became the churches that we're in now we wouldn't have as they ran Christianity would be nothing if they ran but everything that exists now all the kingdom of God that's growing now came out of the heart plan of God for these new thoughts because their prayer was just like Jesus going to be hard, but it's not my will that matters. It's yours. not my will that yours be done. And can I just ask maybe this morning, um, how many of us pray? How many of us actually this morning, if we were to, if God, you pray for God's will, he would show you his plan, you pray. No wonder God doesn't tell us anything. Because we believe. God, show me your will, and bad stuff starts happening. And I'm like, oh, never mind. God, I want to be closer to you. Oh, <laughs> never mind. God, I want to feel your presence. Oh, never mind. God, I want to see you do an amazing thing. Oh, never mind. Because what I meant was, I want you to show me who you are and make my life really, really easy. God, I want you to do an amazing work in me that makes me look really awesome. But I want it to happen in a padded room where nobody back can get to me. What if our prayer was, God, you do what you want to? Because it's not actually my will that matters, but it's yours. God, you restore Right, my marriage if you want to. But it's actually not my will that matters, it's yours. God, you heal me if you want to. But it's actually not my will that matters, it's yours. God, you, you, you comfort me if you want to, but it's not my will that matters if you want to. God, you strengthen me if you want to, but it's not my will that matters, it's yours. Because in, in everything, in every way, God, you are the creator, and you are the maker, and you are the savior, and your ways are higher than our ways, and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and I can't grasp it, I can't get my mind around it, and I will walk into your will, no matter what it looks like. What if that God, I get that your plan is hard. When life is hard, I know I'm in your plan. To the reality of it this morning, so many of us look for God's love in our situation. When in reality, God's love wasn't displayed in this moment, in this situation, but on the cross. Because God, knowing that the plan of God was hard, and that the pain of the crucifixion was real, walked into the plan of God because God saw fit that you would work. Right? Jesus took the nails in his hands and his feet because God saw fit that you were worth it. 
He walked headlong into the plan of God, into all the suffering, all the pain, all the hurt, because he knew that God had already determined that you were worth it. Can I just say that maybe for some of us this morning, if we fall asleep on that prayer, that we wouldn't run. We wouldn't be tempted to take off out of here when life gets hard. We wouldn't be tempted to run away from Jesus when life gets hard. Because here's the reality of it. The closer you are to Jesus, the harder you're gonna, your life is going to be. You can pray all day long. God made me close to you. God made me close to you. But you can't put limits on it. God made me useful. God made me useful. Don't put fences around me. And if you don't want to be close because you want to be safe, then don't be close. And if you don't want to be useful because you want to be safe, then don't be useful. But don't be confused when God is using you because life is hard. And don't be confused when you're close to God and life is hard. Because the plan of God is always hard. For some of us this morning, I believe we need to wake up. We get back to that prayer. Don't make me tempted to leave. Let me resist the temptation to leave. Let me stay. I want to see this through. I want to go all the way with you, God. I want to make it to the finish line with you, God. I want to step across into heaven with you, God. Don't let me leave. It can be hard, but don't make me lonely without you. I can be lonely without people. Don't make me lonely without you. I can have anxiety about life, but don't let me have anxiety about you. I can feel like the weight of the world is coming down on me, but you help me carry that weight. And for some of us, we need to quit praying that God would do our thing our way and just pray, God, it's real. It's not a genie, it's a God. This morning, some of us need to get back to. God, I want this, but either way, I want you. 